What's up all you beautiful people out there? As you might notice, uh, things are a little different this time around. That is because, uh, well, this is episode 15 of the Bartcast, and it's a very, very special episode. I can't believe we're already 15 episodes in. Um, And this one is featuring our most frequent guest, our first guest, great friend of the show, great friend of me and mine and my own, none other than the legendary JJ Good Vibes himself, aka Jesse Lemmy Adams. And uh, he made me some hella sick intro outro music because uh, this episode is all about music, a very musical one. I'm so excited to share this with all all of y'all. I know on the first episode that I did with him remotely, um, I got a lot of positive feedback about how he was playing through his keyboards, uh, you know, playing different theme songs of of movies that we talked about and kind of giving that multimedia feel. So this time around, you know, I went up to uh, his funk farm way up in uh, Agua Caliente in Sonoma County and uh, we rigged up a couple mics in addition to the ones we were speaking into and we set up seven keyboards and so periodically throughout this episode there's going to be musical accompaniment. I really wanted him to have the freedom to uh, jump up when the mood uh, hit him and be able to just tickle the ivories so I hope you guys all enjoy that. But, uh, yeah, man, this has been a weird week. Uh, yesterday, today's the 10th, I'm recording this intro, but yesterday the 9th, I woke up at like 9.30 in the morning and, uh, I almost went back to sleep because it was so dark. I was like, oh, it's gotta be like six. And then I looked out the window and it got weirder. And I was like, am I on Mars? Is this Blade Runner? And as my fogginess of my early pre-consciousness started to come online, I realized what it was, and I just got hit by this feeling of like, oh man, this can't be good. Uh, It's pretty intense right now, all these fires all over the state. 2020 has been really an end times kind of year, and I'm hoping that as an apocalypse, uh, we're able to see it as, as the original Greek intended it, uh, which is the, a change of sorts, a revelation of sorts. I'm, I'm, I'm murdering the actual definition. But On a much lighter note, y'all, uh, today is episode 15, and this train is still running. Um, it's still really fun, and I'm still very excited about this podcast, and I hope you all are too. Today, today, me and Jesse are sitting down to talk about our favorite top 10, our top 10 performances, live acts that we wish we could have seen, you know, uh, be, being someone that, that was grew up in the 90s, raised by a mother who herself uh, grew up during the, the 60s. I inherited what I think a lot of people my 
in my generation inherited, which was this kind of uh, inherent melancholy, uh, feeling like we missed out on something. You know, like uh, it's always just beyond our grasps. This this sense of the '60s uh, being something that we all wish we could have partaken in the summer of love. And, you know, I know most of my music, my favorite music comes from that decade of 1967 to 1976. That to me is kind of the golden age of recording. Um, so that, you know, we grew up hearing about these epic, you know, his heroic, fantastical performances by these artists that we, you know, that, that helped me define a lot of who I am. And so in this episode, we're going to be diving into those artists that we never got to see either because they passed away or because, um, you know, now they're kind of out of their prime, even though a lot of the greats are still great. There's a difference to seeing them when they were at the peak of their game and considered uh, at the top of like the, the, the musical genre of the time. Um, there is something to be said for that youthful energy. So today we're going to be listing, you know, the top 10 shows Top 10 artists we wish we could have seen live in their prime and maybe then going on to talk about uh, if there was a specific era that that uh, we wanted to see them in. And I will note that at a certain point in the show, Jesse's father walks into the studio and uh, we tried to integrate him in. I try to keep this show as multidimensional and flexible as possible. Um, and I hope you all enjoy it. I really had a fun time doing this one. And uh, without further ado, let me introduce my man, JJ Good Vibes, a.k.a. Jesse Lemmy Adams, on this episode 15 of the BartCast. That was a uh, uh, maybe my favorite uh, intro into a Bardcast episode thus far, uh, which is apropos because today is a very special episode. The most special. Today, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we are on episode number 15 Woo! here. And, you know, 
they they say that things come in 15s and uh good things come in 15s good things come in 15s so it was only right that uh for this very special number 15 episode we have our boy JJ Good Vibes back on in the flesh and uh yeah. we're in the we're live from the funk farm uh. live in the studio studio recording live and uh JJ, what's up, man? How you doing? What's up, y'all? Just want to say to all my listeners who heard the first podcast and the one before, this one's going to blow your mind, okay? This one's going to be the, <laughs> the one you've been looking for. The one you've been looking for. The one you, the one you've been looking for. Uh, you hear, you heard it here fo- first, folks. Um, yeah, we're here up in beautiful Agua Caliente, California. It's not a. It's pretty, you know, asi asi caliente, uh, but the smoke isn't as bad as I was worried it was going to be. Um, at least the smoke from the fire. There's some other kind of smoke in the room, but it's a good kind of smoke. Um, how you been, dude? Good man. I'm yeah. looking into your eyes. I'm looking <laughs> deep into Hobart's eyes right now. What do you see? The depths. I see Star Wars episode. <laughs> 17 rogue two <laughs> rogue two my dream yeah that's my that's my dream there rogue sure you find out that uh jabba was actually han solo's father and that explains everything and they they're gonna redo the scenes george lucas is gonna ruin the yeah. scenes he already ruined with more graphics uh, well actually my plan is to do i'm gonna do episode one but i'm gonna remove all the cgi so it's going to be an analog episode one. That's cool. With with Muppets and model ships and all that, you know. Shot on film, of course. I'm just going to try to convince Disney to give me a carte blanche. You know, I'm hoping that it, we can get to a point where Disney, you know, maybe they make 200 Star Wars and they're like, why doesn't anybody like these? And then they're like, maybe we should take a chance on a rogue visionary director and then that's when I'll come in and be like, yo, I got the vision. I know what made Star Wars sick. How presumptuous of me, but I'm going to try to follow through. It was the Muppets, though. Yeah. It was the puppet Muppets that yeah. made it sick. Oh, Jim Henson was very important to that whole franchise. And, totally. uh, and if anything is going to be remembered from this podcast today, podcast, it should be that Jim Henson is an important human being. I've often said that there is nothing that can be said that can't be better said using Muppets. That's true. It, it makes every single scene or idea better. Like if I ever get diagnosed with cancer, I want a Muppet delivering me the news. You know what I mean? <laughs> like if Gonzo came <laughs> in. Funny you know? job. Like I'm, I actually run the <laughs> Muppet at the hospital ward. The Oncology <laughs> ward, Muppet counselor. Kids to go to little kids' rooms. Give them the news, but in a funny voice. Exactly. You're going to die someday. <laughs> What's the one? Uh, Fonzie Bear. It's like, you know, what a, what a, what is true of you and color shirts? Uh, you're going to die. Eeker, eeker, eeker. It's terrible, but I was just trying to think on the fly here. We'll get the animation department to do something there yeah, for the podcast. Yeah, for sure. Mine. In-house animator that, uh, folks, I'm looking to hire someone for no pay to be my animator. I have zero budget, but I need cartoon. I need a, to meet a cartoonist out there. That's my dream. 
I have a really cool cartoon idea, Jesse, that I want to bring to market. Netflix, if you're listening. They're listening to everything. Yeah. So they actually, Netflix, I got a great idea. It just needs to be greenlit. So. They care a lot about quality. Did you see that South Park where mm-hmm. they're... They do Netflix in the South Park. <laughs> no, I didn't. They're like, they're like, like it like goes to the, to the uh, Netflix office, and it's like, Netflix Industries, your film's been greenlit. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Every time they pick up a phone, they say that. Uh, yeah, man. Well, today it, we're taking a special tack for those of you that thought that Jesse was just into films and and solely a filmmaker. Um, you're mistaken because he's actually a very prolific musician. We're sitting in his beautiful studio with two, four, five, seven keyboards of various makes and manufacturers. Um, All before the year 1982, probably. I mean, really, we got your classic. I mean, all the greats. We got the Moog. Yeah, we got to get some demos of each. Ah. Okay, then we got the Whirly. sounded like the world is a ghetto the world is a ghetto and we got ourselves a little juno roll in juno six my personal favorite i don't know if you guys all felt that out there but i definitely got the chills i think my nipples hardened a little bit when i heard that tone took me right back to the Nostromo, you know, alien. So just so y'all know, for this episode, uh, we're having live live keys when I, I agreed to come out here and do it on site at the Funk Farm at Jesse's house. One of the stipulations was that we, we set up all his keyboards so that he can play while we talk about the topic of today. But let's round off these last couple keyboards. What do we got? What's that, what's that white guy underneath the Juno? Actually, uh, 1960s transistor organ. 1960s transistor organ. Led Zeppelin used this. Um, this Led Zeppelin, one of Led Zeppelin's songs is the only time it's ever been used because it's a rare, weird. Mm. What's it called? It's called a Honor Symphonic 35. A Honor Symphonic 35. Lorenzo, if you're listening, I'm sure you're aware of it. Baby. Yeah, it's kind of got like some Dracula phonic vibe going. It is, and and that it's little. Too. It's kind of hoth. It does look like a Hoth keyboard. This is something <laughs> that maybe the Wampa would have in his den. Uh, although his his hands are probably too big to play it, but maybe the snow troopers would get down with it. What, what's that funky transistor organ in the back? In the... This is this is my first organ. It's just a a Hammond Sounder two, but I've had it in my bedroom since college. Sick drum machine on there. <laughs> Take me to Arabia, baby. <laughs> Dude, Prince Ali in the building. 
sick pads. Awesome, and then rounding out the corner over here, we got ourselves. For those of you asking, yes, it is the real deal. This is a Hammond M3 on a Leslie 150, is that right? Like a 145. 145 and a half. Hobart's the man who showed me the power of the Leslie. It's got to be that's one of the one of the pieces of wisdom that my my pops, rest in peace, gave me. You know, he sat me down as a young man and he was like, "Listen, son." There's no substitute for a real Hammond with a Leslie. People have forgotten. You can get close, but you can always tell the difference. So, so I've always, when possible, insisted on the real deal. And then to, to round out it out on the top is the classic Honer D6 clavinet. Just that. The fun, I think the funkiest instrument ever ever made. Especially when you were doing those like the like linear syncopated kind of funky clap shit. Yeah. It's like the world's most fun hand drum ever. Neil Evans over here. <laughs> Hell yeah. Well, thank you, Jesse, for the for demoing all the many voices in the room with us today. Absolutely. And uh, I just want to say, folks, that today is special as well because for the first time here on the Bartcast, we are doing a non-film themed episode with JJ Good Vibes. Today, we are going to be talking about our... It is a top 10 special. Always. You know it. We always got to go top 10 with my boy JJ. But Shirt's today, I got my shirt off. Jesse's taking his shirt off. Somehow, everyone around me lost more weight this, this, uh, this season. It's just, you know, there's, some of us are waterbenders, water nation. <laughs> some of us are fire nation. You know, it's... Yeah. You know. Uh, have you gotten into that show during COVID? I haven't watched many shows. Dude, Avatar Last Airbender, bro. Got, got to get on the, that. I, after the M. Night Shyamalan movie, I was like, there's nothing that could beat this. It's the best. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you want to piss off the internet. That's all you need to write. It really nailed the story yeah. and characters so It was well. so well cast. <laughs> the the aut- authenticity in the casting was, was legendary. But, uh, but no, I highly recommend to anybody. It's on Netflix. Avatar The Last Airbender. If if the beginning feels a little childish to you, you just got to push through. They're only like twenty minute episodes, but the story that unfolds is one of mankind's great sagas. And I just finished watching it all the way through for the second time, and nice. I'm always left at the end with this like deep melancholy, like oh, it's over. I don't want it to end. Anime. I don't I get just, to I see Katara anymore. I don't get to listen to Uncle Iroh talk about tea. 
They're so good at nostalgia. This time around was cool because I got to turn on to a, turn on a couple of my friends to it. So you know, it's like when you share these things, you get to like relive your first time, and yeah, then you can talk to them about it. And um, if you guys are hearing a sound come through, it's there's a pipe being hit by our homie in the studio. This is the music episode, okay? So we needed yeah. to have a lot of people hitting. We pipes have to have some ambient all... noise constantly, and. Uh, <laughs> With our homie Jacob, Jake. Yeah, Jacob. Jacob, Jacob. Wiggins. We're in a classic Star Wars tee, so that that one of them spotted my heart right away. <laughs> um, so yeah, if you guys hear like general sounds of stoniness, just know that there's not a, there is and there isn't a ghost in the room with us. Yeah, we encourage you not to partake in any types of drug related activities, unless you have a yeah. vowel in your name. Yeah, unless you have vowels or consonants. Yeah. If you have at least one vowel in your name and or consonant, uh, then you shouldn't not imbibe. Yeah. And smoking weed and then listening to other people talk is like one of the best things ever. Oh, yeah. And smoking weed and listening to music is is often the way that, you know, I don't know if I told you this on the last one, but I've been uh, getting back into like my vinyl collection and – and getting stony and just listening to albums. This week I got into, I listened to like the James Gang. I got one of their albums recently and then I dove into, back into Hiatus Coyote, Best. Choose Your Weapon, which I have on vinyl. And it was like. Signed. Dude, signed by the band, yeah. And it was so good on weed, man. So good on weed. <laughs> I cry, I was like crying. It is, it is that I got good. teared up. Napalm, man. So I think that's like a good – it's good to think because when we started thinking our top 10, we were like – at first I pitched top 10 favorite albums of the 20th century, and then I thought maybe we would do a 21st century list. But Hobart came up with this idea of live – favorite live acts in their heyday. What would you, would you want to see? And I feel like that's an even more timely – I'm just talking now because this is a podcast. People just talk, talk about things. Talk, baby. No, that's, that's what I want. That's a more timely one to pick because – we're not able to play live. We're not able to see anyone live. And thinking about how grateful we were and should be that you get even some of these legends who are still living today, like I hope they can perform again because there's just something so magic about being in a room with people while music is happening. Amen, brother. I uh, Yeah, I tried to sit down and do my top ten of the 20th century, and I got – I just like – offended myself every decision i made was i was like "Mm, that's not good enough you know i was like how can i choose i mean i could easily make half of my list led zeppelin albums and (laughs) not even scratch the surface of the many other genres and so i'm really glad that you agreed to a a slight change of programming um, and i'm really excited to sit down and share my list and hear yours jesse i love when our lists don't overlap but i'm sure we're gonna overlap a we little must bit today. i mean we haven't yet so you yeah. never know but um but uh i think without further ado should we dive in let's dive in baby. why don't why don't you give us a little dive in music just on one of those ones in your reach and uh then we that'll start us off all right folks we're diving in Today is September 3rd, 2020. Here on episode 15 of the Bartcast, we have top 10 
all-time live acts of history that we wish we could have seen. The top ten acts at their prime that I wish I could have seen, that Jesse wishes he could have seen, that just... Maybe uh, the music should be a little more exciting. Yeah, maybe. Can you give us like some like <laughs> Jurassic Park when they see the dinosaurs? Boom, 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 all right that got me pumped (laughs) i got a musical half chub i don't know about you So, Jesse, as the guest, even though we're in your house, um, I'm going to let you go first. It seems to have worked out well in the past. I like, I like, I like hearing yours last. It always ends, ends it on a good... And can you talk, before you give me your first name, maybe talk about in, in how you built your list, what the process was like for you, and, and what, what were you looking for to make the cut on your top ten selection? Here's the thing. It's important to realize we're talking about people in their prime here. We're not talking about who, what bands you love and albums that you love. It's about who do you want to see live in a room at a particular year, time, and place. So that kind of changes the list for me because so many artists are great recorded but aren't great live. And the, it's vice versa too. So a lot of my people here are like I wanted to be here at this moment in that room when that happened as well as experience you know the, the scene the the time it's you know when when people bust out at a certain time there's like a it's a moment that you can't ever repeat it's like that was the moment that that happened and hell yeah brother hell yeah I'm fucking there with you man so my list is all based around places I wished I was or could have seen or been to to witness some great Great people and great acts. So my first coming in at number ten. Number ten. Ten. Actually, this is this is the best keyboard to to to. Number ten, I would want to see Pink Floyd with Sid Barrett mm. playing Interstellar, all the early psyched out LSD London club music before it all changed to different sound. Mm in london back in like 65 i think 66 was when basically acid came out became a thing it was they were raves but not what we know as raves today with like electro house music but they did it with like vintage instruments and everyone was dressed super mod and like great outfits and suits in london psyched out with all the different colorful crazy you know chemical uh projections yeah, the oil and, and, and them just jamming on these delays and crazy different like music that nobody had heard before and nobody had been high and heard like acid sparked off it's basically like the the psychedelic i wanted to be there in the psychedelic awakening of pink floyd and mm-hmm. i love all of pink floyd's albums and their later work but in that very first time it would have been like a completely different trip and everybody would have been super fly looking mm-hmm. and it would have been this amazing weird moment in time like austin powersy kind of <laughs> you know? but uh but with acid austin powers with acid 
Yeah, uh, rave from the Latin parave, right? Like, which is a parade of psychedelics. Yeah. I believe that's where the term first originated. You guys can, can fact check me on that. Um, that's funny. You know, I'm not surprised based on your movie take taste yeah. that uh, this would be one of the selections. It's funny. I, I didn't listen to the Sid Barrett albums until much later. I was in, like on a bus in India and I had him, saved them on my phone. And I listened to him, and it didn't really do it for me. Like yeah. I know people are right now are going, "What?" <laughs> but uh, I, I think I need to try it again or something. Maybe I need to take some psychedelics. <laughs> and to me, it yeah. seemed almost like too. His lyrics seemed like too obvious. Like you know, like the yeah. the yeah. wandering sprite goes under the hill and sprinkles the dust on the windowsill. He's a fairy. He is a fairy. But I can see for his time, like how groundbreaking it was, and I'm sure that. Yeah. Someone out there is going to put me in my place and be like, "Bro, you're speaking a bunch of gibberish." Well, once you once you've OD'd on the Pink Floyd, everybody knows you kind of want something different. Mm-hmm. And that first record, a lot of it is instrumental too. That's what's kind of I, w- I would like about the rave is that like they have songs that go on for twenty, thirty minutes, and you don't even realize how long the song is going for. It's just a psych. It's basically like the OCs or that kind of like psych rock. Just jam, and mm. that that to me, what Sid Barrett did also was just become a loony, making it cool to be loony and crazy. Mm. And some of the songs are a little corny, but all the sounds that they were molding around then, they were like right. playing around with colors that nobody had played around before. Transistor organs with different tape echoes, and like they were really trying to get as trippy as possible. And I appreciate anything that's attempting to be trippy in some way or another. Totally. Yeah, and he really was, you know, his story, he was like the human sacrifice that spawned yeah. an, another era of Floyd and some of the best music Absolutely. Um, out there. So uh, certainly a, a, a legend in the, in the great rock saga of the ages. Totally. And a worthy, a worthy act. I'm sure, yeah, that would have been quite astounding. Um, cool, man. Well, hey, my number 10... Late ad. I had another name, and I knew, you know, I had this nagging anxiety as we were getting ready, as we were setting up the mics. I'm like, I know that I like this name that's on the list, but it's not, like, relative to my musical experiences. Like, 16-year-old me would be like, I had never heard of this guy yet. I just felt like it wasn't representative of my full life of, like, who I would have been over the years stoked to go visit as, you know, to go see in their prime. Um, and then as we were setting up, it popped into my head. And so for me, number 10 would be Fela Kuti, nice. um, you know, at, at his peak in the, you know, think of that. Lago scene where, you know, I don't know too much biographically, you know, Nigeria, Afro, Afro funk, Afro beat. Um, but just, you know, as someone that loves to dance, you'll notice that's kind of part of the theme of, of my artists on here, but just, Man, going to see like with the big band Fela doing his thing, like a young Fela with the beautiful backup dancers and just the crazy rhythm section and the horns. Like, I've just been like, he's like made his way back onto my playlists of late. And uh, I don't, I mean, every time Fela, Fela's music comes on, it just puts me in a good mood. And I'm like, it's also like really synonymous for me with like Berkeley and the East Bay totally. just a, a kind of when I moved out there I think was when that music started to really like come into my world and uh going and seeing some you know Afrobeat 
bands uh, in the East Bay. Um, 100%. It's got that feel to it, so. That's a great time. I, I... I'm so glad you put, have that on your list. Both of our both of our picks on number ten are all about like the energy, yeah. too, of totally. the room. It's like mom. It's like those guys would jam out for a long time too, right. and they were getting into trances. It was oh no, full yeah. psychedelics. Maybe you know whether or not they were imbibing the same substances. Like yeah. everybody was in the spirit world, and there was lots of sweating. You know, if you ever go to an Afrobeat show, like everybody's like so happy and so sweaty and like if you're dancing with somebody you're going to be sharing sweat sorry covid folks but there was a time when sharing sweat was not a crime Dude, I just need to have you, you know, someday when this podcast is actually like financially lucrative, as it is inevitably so, I'm going to hire you to be like my, like, you know how Letterman has this yeah. organ guy? That's what I want from you. Absolutely. And then, yeah, I could just be like, take it away, JJ. <laughs> <laughs> I'll shave my head. I'll look just like him for you. <laughs> oh, dude, please just do you. I mean, if you shave your head, keep the beard. Down. I'll wear glasses all the do time. Do the woolly willy thing. That's it. Yeah. You know, there's got to be some facial hair. Um, but yeah, dude, Fela Cootie's sitting there on the 10 spot for Great me. Spot. I, it's funny. I didn't think too, of too many world music, uh, what is in the genre of world music, which everything is, should be called world music. But mm-hmm. I, I should have thought more of that. The thing is I did get to see Ravi Shankar before he passed. Oh. So I'm like, that's off the list for me, mm. but, um, honorable mention, honorable mention. Um, so number funny looking at my list um, i wonder if i should change anything <laughs> um i one of this one is is like a very his classic rock and roll moment but i had to i wanted to do this i wanted to be here in this moment when at the newport folk festival when bob dylan went electric for the mm. first time and came out with a rock and roll band everybody was like he was the poet and king of like the folk movement of singing about you know people's rights and was like as woke as you could ever be and everybody put him up on this pedestal of like he's our savior he's our guy and he comes out like probably drunk and stoned with like a super loud rock and roll band at a folk festival in like a leather jacket with maggie's farm and it was like that music it never went back to that like idyllic folk mindset anymore especially it was like the start of rock and roll and it was it was a whole different way of personality coming out as well mm. as music so mm. he got booed so bad it was a horrible thing and then <laughs> they, they forced him to come back out one more time with his acoustic guitar and he played goodbye blue which is one of my favorite say goodbye blue uh mm. songs of his mm-hmm. but it would have been amazing to see all these like white um like liberal at the Proto time hipsters Proto hipsters just being like what is this awful racket <laughs> like everyone's probably sober yeah, like right. it's like it's a folk but like joan baez was there staple singers were there uh-huh. like it was a great festival all day long and then bob dylan ruined it for everyone i love that that's that it's not just bob dylan but bob dylan shitting the bed by trying to go electric yeah. i wonder how many other uh 
you know, people of the era made the same mistake in, in smaller settings yeah, or totally, you know, like yeah. probably a lot of open micers bought themselves a Gibson and started shredding. roll. <laughs> yeah. It was like the quietness and the sereneness of folk yeah. music was like basically stomped on. Mm. It's kind of amazing. Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> thank God. <laughs> Sorry. Thank Odin. I'm trying to get away from saying just the G word. Odin's raving. Exactly. Thank, uh, thank Ganesha. Nice, man. Well, my number nine spot's going to be a familiar name, uh, seeing as it was your number 10, and that's Pink Floyd. But I'm going to rep the newer Pink Floyd and say that for me— 2012. I really want, at the number nine spot would be going to see Pink Floyd, you know— on the tour of dark side of the moon, yeah. like directly after, you know, the, one of those first cities that they hit where like, maybe like I've never even seen them. I've heard they're a cool band, but I've haven't heard the music and I'm like taking acid for the first time, you know, and I show up yeah. and my friends are like there and I'm in a bunch, you know, every, there's a plenty of love. And then all of a sudden it comes on and I'm just like, what the fuck is this? And then the, then they play through the whole album and I'm like, you know, I just think that would be such a world shaking, earth shattering. You hear those chords a lot. Oh yeah. <laughs> home, home again. <laughs> oh yeah. And and certainly like in my I mean, that was really the time in my life when Pink Floyd came in. I was probably like 14, 15, like many of my first weed trips. And, and let's be honest, that's really what they were back then. Like weed was such a psychedelic odyssey for me when I would get stoned. My little like adolescent brain would just like all my imagination would just be turned up to 11. And I just remember sitting and, and just sitting with like my brother and my friends and just like doing nothing else but just listen to Dark Side of the Moon start to finish, you know, and just all the dreams that would come out of it. And, you know, one time we set it to uh, to uh, Wizard of Oz and it totally worked and was blowing our minds. And Dark Side of Oz. Uh, a couple of years ago, I went up to the Chabot Science Center in the Oakland Hills. There's an observatory up there with the planetarium and they do laser light shows. Nice. And I went and saw Dark Side of the Moon with the 1970 whatever laser light show, the original show. And it was like, that's cool. It wasn't what, you know, it wasn't seeing them live, but it was like a taste of that, you know, like it was super psychedelic. <sighs> so good that I, I, I almost put that Pink Floyd era time, but I just, because there's live at Pompeii and you have the record, which is, I was like, there's, there's already, there's already, you can already have a taste of it, but mm-hmm. to experience it for the first time ever live would be amazing. Like right. to not have any context like of what unseen. it is. Yeah. They probably had like those Moogs and those synths with all the like, like giant racks on stage that were like super hot and making everyone sweat. Like they brought all those real instruments on totally. out there. What? So there's, I a, heard, yeah, correct. I don't know if you heard the story, but. My cousin, who's a fount of musical trivia, was telling me that supposedly one of the band members, like they were all like kind of upper, like kind of aristocratic upbringing. And one of them had like an uncle or something that like worked for one of the synth companies. So they were getting all this like all these new 
yeah. modules and rigs, you know, before any other bands, you know, kind of had access to it. So they had a lot of like opportunity to play around with the technology. That's why that album's so good because there's all those interludes and weird moments and all that stuff is live. It's like they didn't, they didn't, you know, they recorded that to tape and somehow got it working to mm-hmm. get the sound in that one moment. Like you have to realize how hard it is to even capture that. Right. But they're, they're amazing. They're, and great gig in the sky, man. Just yeah. like that woman wailing, like, oh. Got paid like 20 bucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> right. Let's, let's do it. <laughs> yeah, I've tried to sing along to that one, and I always fall flat. If we were doing top ten albums of 20th century, that would be. It was one of the first vinyls I ever got, Dark Side of the Moon and Animals. Yeah. So, I mean, that to me, that album, Dark Side of the Moon, is it is one of the best sounding yeah. records ever. Oh, totally. masterpiece! It is. People don't make masterpieces with that much intent anymore. People don't put as much peace in their master. <laughs> <laughs> All right, number uh, number eight. Ocho? The, the Ocho. The Ocho. Um, I put this one on my list because I thought of you, and I thought that I kind of needed to do one rapper on my list because there wasn't any hip-hop. Because I don't – sometimes I think hip-hop is really can be really cool live, but it's not something that I always am looking for. Mm-hmm. But – I think seeing the Notorious B.I.G. Mm. live, I don't know what year or what <laughs> concert, but seeing yeah. how large he is right. and just decimating a room with like uh, a small microphone. For sure. Would be, I mean, you could, you, you could pick so many rappers and so many people yeah. I love, but you want a spectacle and he is oh, yeah. a spectacle rapper. He's right. just like the fattest, biggest, nastiest, thickest flows and everyone be smoking weed and Most shit, notorious. bumping. Um, so I would pick him because you need to... What album, though, can you... I couldn't, I couldn't okay. even say. I couldn't even say. For sure. I don't, I don't know. I, I do, yeah. Ready to Die is the album. Yeah, that's <laughs> it's got the hits. Uh, yeah, dude, it's funny. I'm really glad. I'm really... I'm touched and honored and honored and touched that you put on a hip-hop artist uh, for me. Um, I don't have any hip-hop on my list. Not because I don't love the art form, but because... Personally, I don't. I find hip hop shows are usually not mixed right. Yeah. And often are like, it's really hard um, for it to sound good. Yeah. Uh, which is, it's a little ironic because my first live show I ever went to was The Roots, and they've been like 100% perfect every time I've seen them live. I know you guys opened yeah. for them, right? Yeah. Earlier, or last year? Yeah, yeah, last November. And, uh, and, and they're always, you know, they always dial in their sound right, but I think for like a DJ. Yeah. It's often really hard to get the mix right. Totally. It's and, always terrible. Yeah. And so while a lot of these artists, like I'd love to go see Tupac, yeah. Big e, and I'm sure Big E would just, like you said, just the energy alone. Yeah. I think if I was going to pick a Big E, I would want to go see like a younger 19 or 20-year-old Big E in Brooklyn in a cypher. Like at, at like, yeah. Even though I'd probably get like shot or stabbed or <laughs> get my ass kicked or whatever, like if I could go in and, and just like be a yeah. fly on the wall, like watching like a teenage, you know, we've, I don't know if you've seen the video of like the 17 year old biggie, like in the cypher on the corner freestyling where the other guy, he like destroys the I other dude I've and the dude this. just walks away. Yeah. 
just seeing him at you know in his young impetuous self, you know, in those late teens, so uh, before he fully blows up, but where his yeah. his skills are like right there at the fever pitch. Um, yeah, man, hundred percent, great choice and uh, mad respect, bro. <laughs> Sick. Sick. Well, my number eight uh, is a slightly different tack, but uh, but also lots of gravitas. Um, and I wasn't quite sure where I wanted to put this on the list. I feel like it, this is a hard name to place because this would be a lot of people's number one. Uh, and that's Ray Charles. Um, I mean, I think, you know, if there's an artist that can just, like, get me to cry – uh, off of a video, like God bless America, yeah. opening at a ball game or something. Right, like right. Like Ray had the, the magical, sacred geometry of his voice and the in the little micro the timing frequencies yeah. and tones, the timbre and just the way that he would play keyboard and and sing and it just you know. But I would love to see. You know, Ray, probably young, like like mid to late 20-year-old Ray, like established and like full of confidence, you know, at his peak or whatever. Maybe his peak was later. I, I'm not an aficionado, but um, yeah, getting to go see him and getting to dance and just, yeah, I don't want to go to one of those shows where it's a bunch of white people sitting in folding chairs, like clapping on the one and the three. Uh, I want to go to one where it's you know maybe a nightclub where people are actually getting down and dancing because that seems to be super dirty bluesy yeah he's just shaking his like body and exactly legs and just maybe he'll some of his sweat will fly into my eye you know that's how this song was written uh, <laughs> Well, you were capturing how he was playing it when he was writing it, right? Exactly. So he's going to be a little yeah. hesitant at certain parts. And, totally. This, you know, 100%. I'll, I'll throw in the black keys for free. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, man. But yeah, Ray Charles, you know, godfather of yeah. everything. and he, is, uh, he, he gives me chills yeah. all the time. You know, tr- truly one of the greats. And um, he's, he was on my list further down, but now I get a free spot. Now hey. I get a free spot because we can not double it. Yeah, but you, I mean, you can also <laughs> say where you would put him, and you probably have some knowledge that I am lacking. And... He just—he's just already his records are so good, and he had such a long career. But that early Ray is something that I never got to see. Always have. Yeah, loved. I liked it. I love it on the tracks when he gets a little like dirty, yeah, and nasty, and he's kind of like talking a little like for his era like the equivalent of like a you know cardi b or a, you yeah know, like yeah a jay-z or something where he's like making like dirty songs but you know dirty for the 50s or the With 60s gospel music yeah. in the background it was like literally the worst thing yeah people so blasphemic <laughs> but like also so perfect um yeah you know when 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 women were fainting from the sheer yeah. impetuosity of his Hunt silver tongue. I've been you know? trying to make women faint for a long time, but it's just not that easy. Yeah, these days you got to be careful with that, you know. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's true. 
consensual fainting only. <laughs> yeah. Didn't get permission before. Sign this release that you might faint here at this concert. There you go. So don't sue us. All right, so um, my number uh, number seven. Seven, seven. Talking seven. about this earlier, talking about how much I love the, this instrument. The trumpet, Louis Armstrong, New Orleans back in the day. I mean, just imagine that dude, like the bigness, the bigness of that sound. When you hear the records, you hear the room sound in the, with the trumpet, but imagine being in that room where he's just blasting. His eyes are bloodshot red. He's smiling. He's singing. He's, what a wonderful world. <laughs> but just like that early Louis, like, blew up jazz. Blew it up was like the Kendrick Lamar of jazz. You okay. know what I mean? But he, the most popular, one of the most popular musicians of all time, one of the greatest entertainers of all time, it just would have been great to see him in, like, a, a room the size of this studio. Right. You know, like, yeah. you got a piano player, a little drummer, you're in New Orleans, or, and he just is, like, his personality seems so big, and I would love to smoke weed with him after the show. You totally I, would, I would wait too. for him. You'd come up with a giant. Yeah. Excuse me, mister. <laughs> hey, mister. Hey, mister. Who, who helped to invent jazz? Nice. I so like that's that. my guy. I like that. He, uh... Yeah, I, the, his specific brand of jazz to me is much more um, enjoyable for me personally than some of the later bebop stuff. Oh. Um, and just I love that kind of, you know, more melodic, just in yeah. friendly yeah. vibe. But he's a beast. And, uh, yeah, I, I definitely went through a strong Louis phase in my, like, er, early to mid-20s. I was bumping that stuff a lot. Cool man. Wedding well, song. Wedding song. Le'Veon Rose. Right. The way he plays Le'Veon Rose. Setting if, the intention. If any trumpet players are listening to this, <laughs> we got a jab for you. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, in my number seven spot is a name that a lot of people should be familiar with, uh, but a lot of non musicians aren't familiar with. Um, and this guy. To me, uh, is just such like the epitome of sleeper classic, sleeper legend. He was known, you know, as the fifth Beatle, um, and that's Billy Preston. Dope. Um, Billy Preston is just, just such a killer, and I love his organ chops. I love his singing. Um, he, the album that I have of his on, on vinyl is Music Is My Life and uh, it's one of my favorite that's on my top 10 albums of all time uh, it's got Will It Go Around In Circles it's got uh, all sorts of other tracks that, that's the, that was the hit off the album but um, I would love to see him you know right after that album came out with his big old afro you know his band was like three keyboard players and a drummer you know he had like i think he would play like a whirly or, or a Rhodes and his melodica and sing and then you'd have like you'd have like a guy on grand piano another guy on the organ and then like maybe a third on like a synth or something and then like the drummer and there's this amazing video of them and like the drummer has this like the biggest afro i've ever seen in my life like the size of a beach ball and the beard is completely connected 
and it he looks like he's wearing like an old astronaut space <laughs> helmet because it's just like this 360 completed thing and i mean the afro has long been like my favorite hairstyle i always wish i was like i was like the curly haired kind of jewish <laughs> i got the wavy hair instead uh you know ever since high school i just wished i could have like taken a pick and kind of like throwed out some curls but alas you know you get a wig Curly hair people want straight hair. Straight hair people want curly no hair. Happy. Star belly sneeches want plain bellies, you know. Uh, so, yeah, but Billy Preston, um, that that dude really was special, and I, I would have loved to have seen him just wailing on the organ live. Yeah, I I, I, I love his, his – I can't – I'm not going to try and emulate him, but his, his playing on the electric pianos too on all those – Beatles records are so good and I was just reading last two nights ago about they he was the only person that was that uh, they were thinking of adding as the fifth Beatle as really the fifth Beatle but it, at the last minute it was like we already have enough trouble with the four of us <laughs> <laughs> so I wonder how different yeah. like they, their music would have gotten a lot more soulful yeah like. and he was a good energy because he was a positive dude that what didn't have too much ego uh-huh. was just making them feel better making them sound better and right. also I guess when people like Billy Preston were in the room or Eric Clapton playing with them all the other Beatles would behave better towards each other because they, ah. they had like a guest in, Cut in the, the bullshit. house yeah. <laughs> that's great yeah I, for those of you that have never heard Billy Preston's version of Blackbird y'all need to go check that out it's like the most soulful churchy organy blackbird and it's it's just cool to hear him singing it in his voice because it's such a familiar song and he definitely like brings a level of it's kind of a sad song in some ways but like when you hear him singing it it's still sad but there's this joy that's that's coming cutting through uh that really is uh you know really powerful and um yeah man beautiful beautiful billy 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 p Billy P. Billy P. Um, well, that's perfect. That goes right into my number six, which is the Beatles, but live at the Cavern Club, which is that underground club. They pay, play like five, six nights a week or something like mm-hmm. that when they were just starting out before they were super famous, when they got their chops together, and it was just a bunch of cute girls in a little small club and people dancing. That would have been a moment to see because it's like you're seeing a bar band just destroying it yeah and somehow somebody was like these people are stars but like it's like in the size of a venue we've played in san francisco or like it's like in a little room yet there must have been so much energy behind that comparable venue for all us bay area folk of the cavern club there was a place well i don't know what was ever as dancey as that but amnesia was always you always had like a really good crazy time and amnesia and it was all dense packed together mm-hmm. and there was the underground basement green room which was pretty cool too and uh just having like that early at early energy where they're mostly playing cover songs and they were singing super super r&b like they were emulating all the little richard stuff and okay. like their voices were shreddier than like they, it wasn't as folky or anything it was like they were just doing those like classic rock and roll chuck berry songs and stuff was this before like hold my hand and yeah this is kind of like right those songs came right kind of after they kind of they 
they toured Germany and they did the Cavern Club, and those were the two things that like where they be, just became like a great live band. Mm. And I just for some reason because the first time they came to America when they played that famous concert with Ringo's moving the drum kit around on a circle on different sides because they're surrounded by screaming girls. Like, that's already filmed and you already get it, but this would have been, like, 17-year-old George, you know? Okay. Like, it would have been, like, really cool to see nice. the moment of that. And, Killer. You know, and then maybe, you know, dance with some people. We'll see. Hey, we'll see uh, how... Mini skirts. <laughs> yeah. Killer, man. Yeah, the Beatles didn't make my list, but obviously... You know, one of the greats, for a lot of people, the greatest. And uh, I think a lot, I know like a lot of folks in the 2000s went and saw um, Paul McCartney live. And and I know my parents did, and they said that his voice, like, for them, brought him right back to, like, their youth. And that it it didn't seem like he aged a day with his He is a great performer. perfect perfect at first i thought you were playing Blame, blame Canada, blame Canada. <laughs> yeah, you looked at me South like, Park, <laughs> South Park uh, episode or movie. Um, chill. Beatles in at number six. Number six. Which brings us to my number six, yeah. which is going to be Stevie Wonder. Um, Glad he's on the list. There's a specific tour. I don't know if you've ever seen that YouTube video, the um, signed, sealed, delivered, funky mm. version, which uh, was in in Germany, I think, in 1974. Wow. And he's got these three girls singing these harmonies, like super rich, and he's just done up in this flashy jean jacket with, like, gems, you know, rhinestones, and he's got his sick hat. And he's just – I think he's, like, 24, 25, yeah. like, so beautiful, like – just this ray of positive energy and so funky, you know, just such like joy funk. And I think it was a little before he got too synthy. Yeah. Um, and what was it? Um, for me, like there's this one line, he's just like, they're just grooving on like this funk groove. That's not even the song. And he eventually goes into sign seal, delivering the lyrics over that groove. But he does this like little run and then he's just like, I'm so glad to be alive. And something, when I heard that for the first time, I could like feel that joy. And I like started tearing up. I had this like shiver run down my spine and you know, there's a lot of Stevie eras that would have been amazing to be at, but I would love to have been like sometime on that tour at that point when he was just like, you know, in his full glory, you know, beautiful, you know, yeah. killing it. So and tall, so skinny. Exactly. Moving with the music. Just, just getting down and, yeah. you know. <laughs> there we go. Actually, I actually have a Mutron, which is the, this is the company he, he, uh, 
he was the first person to um, pioneer the use pioneer the use of this pedal. My laptop uh, and uh, it's he was. Oh the no, that's yours. Oh well. Back in. Yeah, yeah. He was the first person to use this, which is a filter pedal. But during that tour, he used this all the time, and it was one of his favorite sounds, which is like. Just like Stevie. Do it just like Stevie. Yeah. 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 I know from my mom, like Stevie Wonder was a huge part of her teenage years. She went out dancing a lot. That was a big, uh, you know, big, big force in her teenage life. And yeah, yeah, just getting to see him at his, you know, youthful peak doing that thing. And I'm sure the scene, just the, the, the the amount of, beautiful women in the audience just getting to dance with everybody and see that even him Um, in outside lands like seven eight years ago so bummed i missed that i felt the chills that you're talking about i felt those chills yeah i was supposed to go see him do songs in the key of life at uh i was gonna see him at at oracle couple years back and i had a friend i was gonna buy the tickets and then my friend was like i'm gonna buy you the tickets for your birthday I was like, great. And then he just never bought me the tickets. So I, they sold out. And I was like, man, I would have bought the tickets. Like, then, now I don't get to go, you know? Like, so it was kind of a bummer, you know? <laughs> what a terrible friend, whoever you are. Oh, that, all is forgiven. It's all good. But, yes, if, he, if I had the opportunity to, uh, to see him, I definitely um, – yeah. that's and You know, you luckily got- there's still a chance, but – I would have loved there to have is. seen him at, in the classic, you know, in a small club, really, you know, like we'll seeing see. him at Oracle would have been cool. But like what you really want is like a new parish size yeah, or the independent or something, you know, like that would be it's kind of the it's the sad thing about these huge acts is like you really want to see the big act in the medium, small, medium venue, yeah. you know, and like even the Fillmore. I feel like a lot of times is a little too big sometimes totally, for these acts, totally. but like go, like the independent, it's one that the yeah. sound there is always amazing it and is. it's like such a good size. It still feels like a big show, but one of my favorite spots, you know, that would have been great. And Stevie, when during quarantine, I re-listened to all of his records from like seven, 67 to 70, like the 10 years of mm-hmm. sort of, especially from like 71 to 76 is one. You know, music of my mind goes all the way to songs in the key of life. And every single album, he literally put like an album with so many good songs every single year, except yeah. for '75. <laughs> it's just like amazing to me that he the output was like, like literally, Talking Book, Inner Visions, um, the f- f- finale, the f- whatever the the. Uh, whatever that other one is, mm-hmm. which is great too. I like, and the album sounds so good. Um, and he's, you he, know, which one I really like that, that I think is a little less 
talked about is um, For Once in My Life. Yeah. That one's a little less of the, like, you know, heart- melodica years. Yeah. And a little more, like, the kind of classic Motown vibe. Totally. But, like, dude, some of those, like, mid-songs on that album and stuff are yeah. so, like, defiant and soulful and funky and, and joyful. I mean, what's Stevie Wonder if not joy, you know? Absolutely. That's all it is. It's, he's the sunshine. He's the sunshine of my life. There you go. Well, yeah, man. That's my sixth spot. Beautiful. JW. I'm so glad that's on. I mean, SW. <laughs> well, that goes well in the mind. We're, we're, we're t- t- tipping each other off because my five would be Sly Stone at Woodstock, oh, which was the big moment, Nike. yo. Yeah. It was like 68 Stand just mm-hmm. came out. Sly had been playing psych rock kind of cool R&B stuff, but hadn't had really like – he had a hit with Dance to the Music, but it ha- didn't quite have anything that blew up or broke out. And mm-hmm. that album came out, and he got signed to be able to play Woodstock, and – basically was the biggest concert over their entire careers and their lives and pretty much everyone who played was stuck but he, he played a 3 a.m set mm. and um so you had to stay up for it and people who slept and missed sly like at that show i'm probably time probably didn't exist that much for that festival but still yeah. it's like to be on at 3 a.m and then to just slay it with with the first like who black- sleeps at woodstock i know exactly the, <laughs> there's probably one guy there's this it's like you know black and white like men and women being as funky as it's ever been mm-hmm. and like basically blowing people's minds with funk, blowing people's minds with the outrageousness. And I don't think like after that, like their high was, they had such a high. I remember an interview where he said they they usually play a few songs in a row and then they have a moment between songs. So they played like three or four songs back to back and it wasn't until after those like the fourth song that they just stopped for a second and then they listened and the roar of the audience was so big and so loud like like tens and tens and tens of thousands of people just going yeah. like that would because you can't see anything it's right. so dark yeah so it's like yeah, this you don't know phones. who you're playing yeah, for right. and then all of a sudden like you don't know if people like it or who's right. out there and then you hear that roar that must have been like whoa dude imagine being in the middle of a three hundred thousand per person <laughs> crowd like you're like let's say you're like a hundred rows back in the complete oh, yeah. dark there's no lights and you just hear and people complain about music slide. festivals nowadays. Yeah. Imagine yeah. the porta potty situation. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> totally. That the uh, the documentary that came out last year about Woodstock, I highly recommend. If uh, I think I've referenced it on this show before, but it just really cool look into uh, the backstory behind it. And so it's, cool. it's even more special when you hear about all the like little things that had to go right and the little decisions that. You know the yeses that were said to make it happen, and the feeding of everybody, and um, but yeah, man, that's it's good. I'm, I'm I, I got more to say. On, I don't want to get you know it's it's on my list too, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do more talking about it because you know how I feel about Sly. <laughs> um, but great choice, and I can that's the obvious choice for sure um, to see them. Um, for me, this brings us to number five, right? And I think I I was going back and forth about which uh, show I would want to be at. 
Um, but you brought up Woodstock. I guess I got to do Woodstock, Jimi Hendrix. Um, I would also, you know, as a, also, I'll put a slash. Jimi Hendrix, Woodstock, just because that's, you know, the Star Spangled Banner, the just that set is such a historical one. Um, but I would, I really, you know, as far as albums go, I would love to have seen him do the electric Ladyland. It's, it's my favorite album of his. And, uh, again, like the big vibe, if I was in the first like 10 rows, yeah, I'm all in, but like, it would be really cool to see him. Like, you know, I have this vision of maybe being like up at like the mountain theater up in Marin County on Mount Tam or like somewhere where it's a little more intimate and I can kind of like see him like if i'm gonna go see hendrix like i want to be able to like see his face and and you know not him but just have him be a shape like i want to be right up in the front but imagine hearing that sound totally from a million miles away right right it's like explosive totally totally i think i would just have fomo if i was like yeah, too far away. I'd be like, I want to see the there's, the, no there's an angel come down to earth. You know what I mean? Like, or a demon or whatever, you know, there's this, there's an avatar of the gods walking amongst us. And I need to go like, get in the vi in the zone around him. Um, but yeah, I mean, I feel like Jimi Hendrix is like probably the person on my list here that needs to be explained the least. I mean, it's probably on a lot of people's top tens. Did he play guitar? Is that what he played? Yeah, I think a little bit. Yeah. Mostly uke. Right. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, just, you know, Hendrix, one of the all and out legends. And, uh, I was convinced for much of my adolescent years, may I'm not unconvinced now, but I just was like, yeah, Jimi Hendrix, the best guitar player ever, ever, you know? So, getting to see him do you know really i want to see him do long hot summer nights because that's my favorite song of his um long hot summer nights (laughs) you know you're a sweet little heartbreaker (laughs) i'm surprised that nobody has uh you know my dad covered that for years and I heard my dad's version before I heard Hendrix's. Oh, wow. And he always had, like, a different arrangement of it. He would do, like, a, a di- kind of a different, like, bass line thing with his bass player. And um, so it was funny. Like, I, I always heard my dad's Hey Joe and thought that was Hey Joe. And then in my teens, I come to find out, oh, wait, no. That was a song that, you know. <laughs> uh, but but uh, it's funny, you know, I someday – I feel like there will be like an organ trio that does like a Hen- Hendrix album. Yeah. Well, yeah. have you heard uh Devlin Lamar organ trio, that guitar player also from Seattle? Yeah. Jimmy James. Jimmy James. I know him. He's the I know most, him personally. Me too. Me too. Yeah, he, he's the man. He's the most Hendrixy guitar player. He plays the strat with his teeth. He yeah. Goes, he turns the, the feedback all the way Dude, up. He's an assassin. Can I tell you a funny story about him? Yeah. So like, I met Del. Uh, I mean, I met Jimmy James at um, at High Sierra Music Festival. We were like hanging out with the Honey Drops in the camp, and uh, and we start chopping it up, and like we end up going off in the corner, and like he just starts playing songs, and I, I'm I start singing all the words, all these like old R and B or like '90s R and B stuff, and like you know, because you know a lot of the Honey Drops guys they are like the most knowledgeable dudes. 
about like classic soul, classic R&B. But like every now and then I'll throw out like a pop, like R&B song from like 97 or something or a, a rock and roll thing. And suddenly they're like, I'm getting question marks. I'm like, wait, what? You guys don't know about this? What? You know? And so me and Jimmy had this little connection because I was like, I was right on there with everything he was playing. And it went into the night and I, you know, we were imbibing. It was a music festival. I was on some substances and I I was very, I think I blacked out at one point. And apparently what I was told the next day was that I like, for like three hours, it, like I was free or I was like reciting all these hip hop songs, gangster rap, and he was playing the guitar and I didn't drop one N-bomb like the whole time, which I was very thankful for because most of those songs have them in it. But somewhere in my like blackout brain was a, you know, a regulator of sorts. Wish I had that. And, uh, and he was, that was like what he kept saying. He was like, and you didn't do one, you know, he was like w- so waiting cool. for me to. And, uh, but he was, he's a, he's a, yeah, just such a talented guitar man, and and uh, I really want him to meet my brother because I feel like they have a very similar, like playing style and yeah. vibe. And I bought this harmony guitar because of the guitars that he, the harmony guitar he had, the rocket that he. Oh, had. it's a beauty. And um, red sunburst. I would recommend watching him. He plays with the True Loves and Delvin Lamar Organ Trio, and he plays on monophonics tracks. He, he's mm-hmm. a session guy, but he's a living legend of soul. Like he's probably the one of the most soulful human beings alive so like yeah. he's somebody to see as soon as you can if you can or even just listen to his records because his guitar playing is so tasty yeah and just groove all groove watching him play live he just literally just sits and just he moves. does that little he head little head wiggle and it's awesome if you ever run into to jimmy james too folks uh you gotta ask him about his story of sitting in with Sharon Jones and the Dap yeah, Kings because yeah, he'll tell you it. It's a great story. He's a talker. He'll he yeah. will go. You'll just I bought him to brought him to Safeway so he could get a rotisserie chicken, and we he just will talk and talk and he's just a, so knowledgeable and totally. everything he says is great. So it's like you just want to listen to him and not Hell even yeah. maybe I maybe I can get him on here. That'd be great. That'd be a good a good. I gotta check their touring schedule, <laughs> and yeah. I, I I I didn't manage to. Sit, to see them, I think, even though I love organ trios and I've seen videos and they're, they, Delvin yeah. too is a, is a killer. Yeah, um, they're just, they're funkies. They're the Booker T of the, of today. Today. Um, okay, so, local legends, local legends, I would want to do number four, like 1982. Tom Waits, just like classic smoking a cigarette the whole time, mostly him on a piano, the backing band with like Mark Rabot and um, just all the crew of the weird rain dogs era. Maybe it's a little past 82, but I want like, there's a, there's a great movie called um, big time, which is like pretty much a live concert film slash weird circusy interludes but it's like i think being there also in the humor of him and his character it's like he's almost a stand-up comedian as well as a entertainer as well mm-hmm. as a weird storyteller he's he mixes a lot of things together in his live show and i just never really got to see that so i would have loved to have seen him back in the day just telling some weird tale and you know making jokes and singing and and just even him with the piano would just waits in around waits in around 
I, I, uh, you know, I've only experienced him really through the cinema. Um, a great actor, really. You know, he's played some of my favorite characters, but I know that I'm woefully like uneducated on Tom Waits' music, and I know for a lot of people he's very special and and certainly a Bay Area legend and has, yeah. um, is a big part of the history around here. And and for me, I've always thought of him as this like symbol of the cool. Yeah. In the way that like people talk about Miles Davis, like Waits, he's all he marched to the beat of his own drum. Yeah. If they you know. And even though I know very little about his story and his music, to me he's always been synonymous with like this really cool aesthetic, cool guy, you know. He is. He's like theatrical. He's bad at. He is. He's he's never been. The early days, it was him singing like like as if he was like a young, like it, it's not like it's not at all Billy Joel, but it's like the piano man, the piano player singer songwriter type that's where he started kind of playing like small clubs where it was just him with his voice not even raspy yet Mm. just singing these like beautiful songs and these jazzy kind of songs and no one was quite doing it like that but as he aged he got so much weirder and as you know as every great artist goes i hope that that you know you just go more into yourself and um you will get up into a weights phase. And I just saw the movie Shortcuts for the first time. I had never seen and that's considered like one of his greatest performances. Mm. Him and Lily Tomlin are have to put that a married couple. Okay. I have the DVD. He's in, isn't he in Seven Psychopaths he also? Is, yeah. yeah. He's the like the pastor or whatever? Yeah. His, 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 um, I have some screenshots of his acting, but the character he plays in Shortcuts is just like, it's almost like it's a real character of his songs. Like he's, but it's so heartfelt. Like you, you, it feels so real. There's something about the way he acts. It's always like an irony or a humor to it. But this one, this performance is especially authentic and real. Like it feels mm. like him and Lily Tomlin just have this great romantic connection. And she's a waitress and he's a drunk limo driver who they live together, but he kind of messes up and he comes back to apologize. And he's like, I didn't. I didn't know where you went and I wouldn't have slept in a bed without you. <laughs> like, and he's like, what do you want to have? What are you ordering? And he's like, how about you on a bed of rice? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to remember that one. <laughs> oh, that's great, man. Well, Tom waits. All right. Uh, well, maybe, you know, someday you and me can take a long drive to nowhere and, and you can uh, play good. some for me. All right, that brings me to my number four. Yeah. And I got to say, these last four are like, this is the order only because I've played this game in my head for years and like I've gotten it to this point. But like any one of these four, you know, I would, uh, there's a lot, there's not a lot I wouldn't do to get to see these, any of these acts live. These are like the bucket list top you know these all deserve to be on the pedestal in my book as far as like the hobart you know self-identify music god i'm not worthy kind of thing you know um and so coming in at number four is i'm sorry whether you agree or disagree to me the greatest rock band of all time uh recently been getting back into them in a heavy way and that's led zeppelin um which is funny because Led Zeppelin is 
I don't. I I've listened most of the live music I've listened to of theirs. I haven't particularly been like wowed by. I think that they were so much like these studio wizards. But I'm thinking it would be probably like their first tour if I had to choose. Like they're all like 16 and they've just come out with one. And seeing like a teenage John Bonham like crushing. If you listen to the drumming on that album, you're like, this guy's 16? Like what the fuck? Like this is crazy. Um, Either that or right after two because – then I would get to like those two albums to me are like linked. They have the same like almost they're like could be a double album. So being able to see because I know they'd play songs off one if yeah. on the tour for two. Um, so that early Zeppelin, one of those two, uh, it would probably be, you know, and I know my man Lesh is going to make the play that I am an idiot and I should go see them for Houses of the Holy because that's his favorite album, but which I love, too. But I could go on all day about – I could go see any one of theirs. But for me, I think it's going to be that first tour just to see these young Super teens who have just rush. broken through and are so excited. And, you know, Robert Plant's voice is, like, not as damaged, you know, and he's just, like – Yeah. You know. I, I To me, the, my Led Zeppelin would have been Madison Square Garden, basically the concert my mom went to for her first concert. Just being at Madison Square Garden with Led Zeppelin to me would have been just, like – you're at like church or something like right. you're at the church of rock and roll. Like. Right. But those, yeah, I mean, they're, they're amazing. Cause at least they captured that early magic, mm-hmm. you know, what era did she get to see them? Uh, must've been 69, 70, maybe, maybe 71. Hey man, no stairway. <laughs> Do you know the? Uh, you got to learn the intro to "Your Time Is Gonna Come," man. That's the organ intro. Also, no quarter. Or no quarter. That one's that one's fat. So it would have been uh, sixty-nine was two, but if it was seventy or seventy-one, it would have been three or four. I mean, these guys. That's the thing, man. Sixty-nine, they come out with one. Sixty-nine, they come out with two. Seventy, yeah. they come out with three. 71 they come out with four like it doesn't make sense to, to when you look at today standards compared to those standards right. people needed to put an album out every year right if you were an artist mm-hmm. it was unusual for you to take a year off between albums that's why when steve wonders album came out after mm-hmm. a year off it was like when they had shirts made like the album's almost ready like uh-huh. like it's just like now it's like you get a d'angelo album every 20 years right but <laughs> you know in the the it makes sense when you have a label that's like yeah. like Work go sequester it. yourself in the studio for eight months and yeah. come out with an album and you can just go hang out in the studio and all your bills are paid and i mean the independent artists these days know the struggle better than anyone of like like you yourself i'm yeah. sure like nobody's like paying you to go do drugs and play around with synths in a studio for eight months yeah. and trusting that you're going to experiment and come out with gold and that's really that era was so synonymous with like these record label execs, like really giving the artists a little more freedom in, in totally. determining, you know, the art. They saw the power of the album. Yeah. The Beatles were so smart in not touring. 
Right. Like, imagine if they got just sucked up into touring and they never came out with like that many great albums mm-hmm. after Rubber Soul, you mm-hmm. know? Right. But Zeppelin rules, Zeppelin man. Zeppelin rules. I'd say they're the greatest rock and roll band of all time, in my uh, opinion. We're in full agreement there, Bucko. Um, what was I going to say? The oh. Oh, you played Stairway, and there's all the controversy about them, like, ripping it off their opening act. Did you hear that? Like, apparently they stole a bunch of their songs from this band that was opening for them. I haven't looked into it. This is, like, all podcast hearsay that I've gotten off other sources. But all I have to say about it is, like, whether or not they did, like, it's still Zeppelin, and they still did it that way. And, like... It's really it sucks if if they ripped it off and there was like dirty dealings. Yeah. For all I know, maybe the opening band was like pumped that they played their song. You know, maybe there could have been some attribution if they had taken it. But it still is Zeppelin. It's still John Bonham. It's still Jimmy Page. It's still John Paul Jones. It's still Robert Plant. Yeah, it's Zeppelin, man. They're the greatest rock band of all time, and uh, I'm fully comfortable with saying that. If you hate that, then sign off right now. If you hate that, then eat my shorts. All right. Well. Top three time? We're in the top three time. Can you play us a little top three interlude? Yeah. Top three. Top three. Top three. This music does not represent the actual music that's on these lists at all. Your top ten list, your top ten list music experience may vary. (laughs) All right, so because I I get to pull a fast one because to me Ray Charles and Hendrix were on my list, and I feel like it it deserves to speak of more artists because we've spoken of them. Can you tell us where those would lie? They were my number three. Ray Charles, number two, Jimi Hendrix. Okay. So, but I'm flipping it. I'm flipping the script. I'm also oh, 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 realizing, like, audible. I, I, I'm not, I'm not filling it with that many ladies, and I feel like some ladies belong on this list too. So, Billy Eilish, no, Billy Holiday, <laughs> <laughs> would be a third one for me. Not just because it would probably make Lauren the happiest girl if I brought her with me back in time. Oh, we might have to do another episode <laughs> top ten shows to take your date to. Yeah, that's a good, and it would be romantic, but. Seeing her in her prime, seeing her alive, like her records sound amazing and they're great, but just like being in that small jazz club and that beautiful voice and just just like s- such an interesting storyteller at the time. I'm the thing is is I I'm really familiar with Nina Simone, so it would I would I would feel like I would be even more um, curious about Billie Holiday life because I love I love her so much and I put her on on records and it's great music to like cook to and hang out to, but mm-hmm. to actually be in a room where she's singing strange fruit and you feel the weight of that song yeah. and moments like that, you, you, you can't quite comprehend now what that would have felt like. And I'm um, such a beautiful voice and it would make Lauren very happy. So that would be my number three, Billie okay. holiday. I love that. Um, she's, I love Billie holiday. Um, yeah. I had this, uh, Billie Holiday slash Ella Fitzgerald. No. 
I forget the slash. Sorry, guys. But I had a Billie Holiday slash album with another artist. Um, Etta James. Oh, Billie oh, Holiday, nice. Etta, Etta James. Etta James was one of the best live records um, of all time. And it was so cool seeing the two of them and the difference in their vibe and what yeah. they were, you know. And she had this magic spellcaster vibe about her. Um, I do want to say, yeah, I um, don't have like any women features on my list. There's plenty of them, especially more contemporary artists that are like very dear to me. Um, but I will say that both, you know, there was a couple like in the maybe the 15, 15 if I expanded it, that uh, are would would go on there and and probably be be somewhere on the list, and that would be. Uh, Aretha Franklin, I would love to go see like her at a small club early on because I know that was just like some life changing shit. Um, as well as Bonnie Raitt, like in first couple albums. Live in the building, we got Papa Adams. Yo, come say what's up, man. We're we're just how you doing? Good, good. Just t- t- surviving it all. Yeah, surviving yeah. the game. Surviving the game. Surviving the the pandemic. Okay. Yeah. Well, this too shall pass. This too shall pass. Well, we're we're doing our top ten historic acts that we never got to see. Music acts. Oh my gosh! And we just made it number three. Your your boy just laid down uh, Billy Holiday. Maybe we yeah. could go, you know, transition into a cross generational and ask you: Was uh, was there a historic act that you never got to see? It on see. your list. Uh, I never got to see Jimi Hendrix. Okay. Love to see Jimi Hendrix. Is there a particular show that stands out for you? I, I don't even remember. I, I grew up in the 70s. I don't remember details. Okay. Um, I did see Ella Fitzgerald. Oh, cool. I've seen, uh, um, let's see, I've seen The Grateful Dead. I've seen, obviously, the Allman Brothers. Actually, there was a night in, you know, in the 70s, mid-70s, early 70s, where I went to a Grateful Dead show in New Jersey and the Allman Brothers showed up. And the next night I went to an Allman Brothers show and the Dead show. <laughs> that's Dude, that's a good combo right that's there. That's a great combo. That was a lot of fun. Wet East meets, or South meets West. Yeah, <laughs> really, really. That was great. You've seen Dr. John. Seen Dr. John. Graydon. You've seen, the you know, Beatles were your first show. My first show, believe it or not. It's, it's, this is true. And I'm, I was eight years old. I saw the Beatles in Shea Stadium. Were you terrified by all the screaming? No, I was just enthralled <laughs> with it. I, yeah. I, I loved it because um, my father was a, a journalist and he got press tickets. So he took my sister and I. My sister was 13. I was 8. So we went to Shea Stadium, had these unbelievable seats. Like literally, you know, I don't want to say front row, but it was they were great seats. And... Uh, uh, the Beatles played on the stage was set up on second base. We were right behind home plate. Mm. Beatles were put on second base, and from the corner of the stage, all the way to the um, the outfield fences, uh, where there you know where where the bleachers were, there were lines of policemen, you know, just arms apart, like you know, <laughs> sixty policemen on right, each side, dear. and the screaming of the girls was unbelievable, and. Um, you know, it's what made me want to be a rock star. Yeah, of well, course. Mission accomplished, yeah. you know. <laughs> That's awesome. Jimi Hendrix made it on both of our lists. Oh, is that right? And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Did, were you at this historic uh, Zeppelin show with Mama Adams that Jesse, Jesse was just telling me a little anecdote Hers was about? Madison Square Garden's Led Zeppelin was her. Was Led Zeppelin? Really? Uh, I, don't, I don't even know that. They yeah. were neighbors, but they weren't 
married that's right. yet at that, okay. at that that's young right. age. A glimmer in each other's eye. That's right, right. I mean, I did King Crimson, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. Um, who else? Uh, uh, didn't never saw. I never saw the, like the old greats like Sinatra, um, which would have been fun. I mean, those are those are the great shows. Those are the you know the yeah. great the great Sinatra would have been yeah that, the great But influence. I did a lot of those those festivals in. In the seventies, you know those three-day festivals mm. where it just had great acts. You go to Monterey jazz. Pop ever? I never went. I, I grew up on the East Coast, so oh, I wasn't, yeah, okay. yeah, so I never did there. But they had a bunch of those festivals that, uh, and uh, you know, literally it was everybody was on the bill. You know, never saw Janis Joplin in person. I would have loved to see yeah, her. Yeah, that would have been. She great. would have been great. Uh-huh. Did see, of course, Leon Russell, uh, fantastic. You ever see Billy Preston play with anybody? N- let me think. I'm wondering. I don't know if I did or not. Okay. He was on my list, so I was just Is that curious. right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, cool, man. No, this is great. What a great concept. For yeah, a, no, it's been great. Yeah. We have all the keyboards set up, and Jesse's been laying it down. We've had some cool yeah. interludes, and we're down to our top three, and he just gave me his three with Billy Holiday. So. Wow. Okay, well, keep going, guys. Can't yeah. wait to hear it all. Thanks for stopping by, you man. Betcha. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah. In case I didn't make it clear before, that was Jesse's father. He lives here on the premises. Papa Adams checking in on he us. He walks around. He talks about Grateful Dead shows. Yeah. And goes back to sleep. If you can remember, man, you weren't there. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, that brings us to my number three. And this is definitely, I think, at different times in my life, could be said to have been in contention with my two-in-one spots. But um, I'm surprised I haven't heard it yet. And maybe he's in your spot. Maybe we'll have our a link up here. But number three for me would be James Brown. Um, seeing him live in his prime when he was doing all the dancing, you know, with the JBs, like the the greatest backing funk band of all time, most solid pocket ever. Yeah. Uh, James Brown, man. I mean, the Godfather of Soul. I, uh, I I can't say enough. You know, to this day. <laughs> I think you left out an extension there on the top, bro. Yeah, I did. Uh, I did. It's funny, you know, I uh, recently, as part of my schmuck days, you know, I was telling you I've been like diving into. I'll eat this, eat an edible, and then I've been diving in back into my vinyl collection. And uh, in addition to Zeppelin, I have gotten like way back and re-fallen in love with Black Caesar, James Brown's. You know, he did the soundtrack for the movie Black Caesar, and that album. Uh, you know, it just. I have such a strong new love for it again, you know, down and out in New York city opens up the album. It's got, you know, you know, uh, got to pay the cost to be the boss and just, I mean, James Brown, man, he just, I think a lot of, for a lot of my life, I thought of him as mostly being this like dancing showman, almost like character, but like sitting down and listening and like, I was really listening to his voice and listening to his phrasing and his lyrics and like trying to put myself in the headspace of like being young at the time when that music was being made and just how cool and how like 
brilliant and beautiful of a songwriter he was. Like those lyrics are dope, man. They're just so, so cleverly phrased and worded and so like crisp. He doesn't, he like says so much with so little in the way of words. And, uh, and it's just so goddamn funky. You know how I feel about that. Amen, brother. Amen, brother. Well, that brings me to number two. It's really hard to not put Janice on my list, but I'm the the reason is is because my number two will be Aretha at Amazing Grace, the church concert, the documentary that just came out, which you can really watch the whole thing, but I would love to be in the room and hear it. You got Bernard Purdy on drums, you got mm. a Le- Oregon Leslie up on the near the ceiling so it sounds like swirling organ like from the heavens basically huge choir amazing funky rhythm section her singing her heart out for two nights like being pushed to the limit of her voice and Mm -hmm. of her father's there everyone's like egging her on to like get there and you're like listening to mick jagger's like up there sitting like that would have been a concert that like you can watch that and feel like you're there, but I, I just also would have loved to just experience the gospel. I feel like one thing I haven't done enough of in my life is going to, like, churches, r- real gospel churches where, like, the music is just slamming. Yeah. And that would be that experience at its, like, peak, you know, in the 60s. and Hell yeah, dude. So, and her voice, man. Like, I always, I always am, I always feel like Aretha is at the top of everyone's list. So it's sometimes it's hard to be like, yeah, she's the best. And I love Mavis Staples so much. I love, um, so many different other female singers, but sometimes like it wasn't until that amazing grace performance where I got to see it really close up where it was like, she's literally like what Janice was doing. She's doing, but like, with like a distortion pedal and like hitting every note. Like she mm. is like a saxophone of a singer. Mm. Like I don't even get how rock and her she can make her voice sound she's made her voice sound so good it's even surprised to me that she's a voice today, you know. So, right. Um Aretha num- was my number 2. Number 2. Amazing Grace. All good. Yeah, I uh I I want to see this doc was that on Netflix or it was, came out in theaters about a year ago, okay. and it's now you can rent it. Yeah, it's called Amazing Grace, and there's an album that came out with I'm gonna it. I'm going to have to check that it's out. so Put good. Put that on my list. Be ready to cry. Yeah, remind I, me. cried like five times. Remind me afterwards, and I'll, I'll get a hanky yeah. ready for it. And um, it start, we started our set with Royal Jelly at High Sierra Music Festival with the song They Start, which is like this cool, like, mother, don't you... It's like, whoa, whoa. Like, everyone's just... It's a vamp, and everyone's just, just kind of like, it, it sucks you in. Yeah. You feel like you're about to get washed. Killer. So. I love it, man. I love it. Well, great. Well, that brings me to my number two spot, which may be a little bit familiar since it was on your list. That's Sly and the Family Stone, um, Bay Area Legends. It's hard to pick... Like the obvious choice is is Woodstock, and and you made a really good case for that. Um, and I've 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 watched like the Woodstock movie, and it I, obviously that vibe and that energy would be like a, a total moment to experience. And so I'm very inclined to like just take the easy route and be like, yeah, yeah, that's what I am choosing too. But however, 
that album is not my favorite album of theirs. And that era, although their energy is very pure and happy and love and like that energy, and I would love to see that. Like my favorite album is Fresh, which I know is a little bit darker period for the band. So I'm torn because I want to see them do those songs live. However, like... I might have to meet in the middle and like see like there's a riot going on if he shows up. Right, exactly. <laughs> and but I do know that like I do, you know my stipulations for the you know the ideal would be like maybe in Golden Gate Park, seeing them or in somewhere the in Oakland in outdoors bay. in the Bay on like a sunny you know on like a or maybe even like overcast but muggy like humid afternoon and just them like getting down super funky and everybody just having such a good time and so much positive energy such a positive band everything you got the brother on guitar you got the cousin on trumpet she's a super Mm -hmm. badass it's just like the family band of all family bands and there's all the didn't he wasn't one of his sisters on keys or something i know that i was watching a video the other night he had two different women playing one of them was on the was on like the organ and the other one was on the clav and That's the fresh area, yeah. You gotta do the organ swells. I want you to stay, Jesse. I want you to stay. That if we if we ever get a Sly new Sly album, um, I want to do that song, but like a like a ballad version for him to sing. There you go. If, 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 if there's any tread left Sly, on those tires, he's the top of my list of people I want to collab with before go. they die. There you go. Yeah, man. Because um, that was a slower song. They sped it up. Okay. It was a whole key slower, and it was like really long, and they 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 it's mm. raised. The recorded version is interesting. Raised and sped up. Did they raise it by speeding it up? Yeah, with the tape machine. So it was like, now was the best hit that they could come up with at that foggy time. It's funny, you know, that uh, my brother was going to school at Laney College in Oakland on on Lake Merritt. And uh, he just ended up in this music class with this guy and he started talking to him. And it turns out it was Rusty who played, played bass on that whole album. And so the two of them had, you know... Nice. developed a rapport and and uh and so he's got this whole cool story of like meeting Rusty. and rusty was like back in school you know trying to learn like more music theory knowledge and stuff talking about you know squandering all the money having to go back to work as a gigging musician um yeah. but like it was such a cool story i think he was hanging out with this dude like around the time when the album was actually I said this earlier, but this album came into my life right when you came into my life. Like, I was like 21, 22, SF State. Yep. I was really into the funk. You was. was. A big part of my personality. And, uh, and certainly, you know, in my eyes, there's no greater funk band than Sly and the Family Stone. I'm, I'm glad Jake let me borrow that album fresh because I wouldn't have discovered it. I just ended up – it ended up being at my folks' house. Okay. And every time I'd have friends over and everyone would be hungover in the morning, i put that record on because mm. it was, like, the only record that was mine at the house. So, Or, like, that belonged to, like – 
And it became like this morning music that is like such good morning music. Oh, it's too. the like best it's, for making breakfast too, for yeah. sure. And the the uh, yeah, um, you said that K Sera Sera would be your wet, your funeral music, yeah. and uh, and I said babies making babies would be mine. So um, for all you listening out there, that's that are those are our wishes. And uh, I will say that that album fresh to me is like the most replayable album maybe I've ever heard. Like I yeah. will put that al- album on these days and still be as excited it's as I was. When like I a baby. First got into it. Yeah. It's, it's so good. And that's what I mean is like, I feel like if you don't know Sly yet, just give it, it'll grow on you mm. and it grows really deep. Like if you let it grow, because like, Jake was born with it, luckily knowing all those records, but like I had to discover it later as well. Mm-hmm. And it's still worth getting back into. So right. do it. Sly is still alive. I He's... mean, Everyday People was the first bass line I ever learned. Yeah. Larry Graham. But, you know, I didn't really, I was, you know, I was a little idiot seventh grader trying such to learn Rage Against a... the Machine. I didn't even know about the funk yet. They would have know? been on my list, but I've seen them live. Me too. So yeah. but they would have been up there. Um, awesome. Well, let's let's do – can you play some number one music for us? Is that Moog hooked up? Make it a little more epic. This feels a little anticlimactic, Jesse. I'm working towards that. Okay. Slow build. Slow build. You brought it back home, man. You, you came through in the end. Musical I love it. I'm the I'm be at all the podcasts playing keyboards for you. I'm gonna need to sample that onto my MPC. That I know, such a fun sound. Um, so my number one, I will double. I'm dub, I'm doubling down. It would be James Brown. Uh. So I think him in the day, his dance moves. I didn't even want. I know Chadwick Boseman, rest in peace, yeah. my my good friend. I don't know him. He's a great <laughs> friend of mine. But I, it, I couldn't watch the biopic because there's sometimes when I love the stories that you get from biopics. And, mm-hmm. and, but, like, James Brown, the real live James Brown is, like, is like you can Im- imitate it, but there's just – It's too not, sacred. It's not the same. Yeah. And, like, when he busted out on um, – uh, it wasn't Johnny Carson. What was the other big show at the time? Is that Ed, the Beatles, Sullivan? Ed Sullivan. Ed Sullivan. When he busted out on Ed Sullivan, he embarrassed the Rolling Stones. Like they had to follow him, mm. and it was like you see Mick Jagger trying yeah, to like be right. funky as that was, <laughs> but like he busted so hard, and his live show was what he was built. Like to me, I love his albums, and there's songs of his I love, wow. but he he never did the thing where he really. What went Stevie Wonder about it? And like, he would usually have a couple great songs and then a bunch of cool jammy filler right. stuff. Totally. But like, him live is like, you get all the dance moves, you get the suits that they had yeah. refined if there was wrinkles on them, and him going like, 
flashing his hands and taking Wouldn't 20 he f- bucks. He'd fine him like 50 bucks if they missed a note or something yeah. like that. Yeah. I just, he really was the most hardworking. And he would literally have an IV in breaks for, to get w- liquid because he would sweat so much. Mm. And the whole him falling on the ground and the cape and someone having to lift him up at the end of the show, like he milked, like he just really <laughs> went for it King of the so gimmicks. hard, so hard. So James Brown for me. Dude, I know it's, it's, Sly is like so deep in my soul, but but I also am thinking about it like as far as like the show, and like yeah, dude, that I could easily put James Brown in my number two because that's just I mean the level of dancing like I'd probably need an IV too. The slide, he's so got hard. the slide. Yeah, he's so bad, man. He's, that's that's awesome. Well, I'm glad. I'm I'm really glad he that he's on your number one spot, and I will say that. Uh, I think most people would guess that as my number one spot. And um, the only person in history that could supplant it uh, solely for like how much of a spiritual event it would be is the, is the one in my number one spot, which is Bob Marley and the Whalers. Nice. Uh, you know, I, 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 I would like to see them do catch a fire, you know, but whatever, I don't know enough to know the peak of their years, but like that's my favorite album is Catch a Fire. Uh, but just to get to be there, like and see, you know, again, I'm torn between like wanting to see the established Bob Marley and the Whalers do their thing in you know in the famous zone, but also like I do know there was the story of like them being this young band and like getting uh, you know meeting Lee Scratch Perry and, and rehearsing at his studio. And him, like, uh, basically telling them, like, if you want to play here, that's fine, but you can't play a show for two years. And, like, making them practice and practice together for two years. Like, I want to see – I would want to almost be in Jamaica seeing their, like, first show. Yeah. After that time where they just step on the scene and everyone's like, who the fuck – what is this? You know? Yeah. But, um, you know, I'm a funk and soul guy, but, like – Bob Marley, man, like that just, it's just, it, that's the, the spiritual ascension right there. Like, yeah. you know, like getting to go and, and he, and he was so funky, you know, there you go. Which is funny, you know, because I was talking about this the other day, like Bob Marley was like, you know, they they created this reggae sound that uh, if you listen to them like that, the upchuck that's become so synonymous, synonymous with reggae, like a lot of their songs don't have that on it. And it's just like an R&B song yeah. with him singing. And I love that about it that like. He he he. They were taking the inspirations that they had the, at the time, which was a lot of these like 
soul and R&B bands. James Brown was a huge influence on Bob Marley. Right. Well, there you go. Yeah. Uh, but now, you know, from that came this, like, genre where there's everyone now is – the, the yeah. reggae music is the – It's been classified as – That's why I love the early Bob Marley recordings so much. Yeah, those rock steady grooves. The happiest – Happiest, chillest, totally music ever. But yeah, he's he's like the guy that for sure I'll I'll put on, I'll just you know on YouTube look up like a live show from anywhere and just put it on in the background if I want to. You know this one? It's Yeah, super um, cool, like old recording, lo-fi kind of tape, one room mic or something, totally. and one room mic. Um, That's a good one, man. I'm so glad it's on the list. Excuse me, no cell. How phones. dare you? Oh my gosh! Sorry. How dare you? <laughs> yeah, cover it up. Cover it up. It's your mother. Okay, it's allowed then. I do want to. I have a couple of honorable mentions uh, that didn't quite make my list. Me too. Um. One of them's the meters. They're high up yes, there. They're, yes. they're in like the top 15 spot. Um, I said Aretha and Bonnie Raitt. And um, there was one other. My, mine are uh, Iggy Pop, mm. David Bowie, mm-hmm. like early 70s or late 60s. Nirvana, yeah. mm. like 91. Oh, yeah. Queen. 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 Oh, yeah. Queen. Queen's got to be in there. And also Red Hot Chili Peppers. Uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers and, <coughs> and Primus. Yeah. Where, like, I almost wanted to put those. Red Hot Chili Peppers, like, right after uh, Blood Sugar Sex Magic came exactly. out. Like, that's Their the era. Their best album. Honestly. Yeah, by far. And, you know, I got to see Primus at High Sierra. Nice. And it was killer. Yeah, they're still really good live, so it's not like yeah. it's to say. But at the Phoenix in Petaluma in 1992. Uh-huh. So. That would have been pretty badass. Um, my, my, my buddy, I have a good, good story about uh, Les Claypool. Apparently, like my, my good buddy, shout out Tommy O, Tommy O Mahoney, went up to, you know, Les Claypool was like a huge influence and huge idol of Tommy's. And he went up to him and was like, dude, like kind of like, little starstruck kind of just like oh you're just i said to come you know you're my favorite bass player blah 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 and uh apparently like you know tommy's a gushing a little bit and and les looks at him and just reaches out his fist and he's just like potato <laughs> that's what i love about him he's like yeah. this such a psychedelic another cartoon wizard you know another weighty cartoon yeah so we gotta end with a short jam okay Ready? Good. Jump on those keys. I'm jumping on the keys? Yeah. What are we Thank you.
Podcast Bring it in here. Bring it in here. With the live audience. Sharing sweat. Sharing sweat with Jesse and Hobart. COVID friendly. Um, yeah. Thanks for coming on, man. Always a pleasure. And thank you for being uh, number 15. Number 15th one, guest. 15. Maybe we'll have to make it so that every 15's got to be a JJ Good Vibes every special five, edition. I mean, we'll do other ones too, but you're going to get every 15. Because good things come in 15s. That's what we both started at the beginning. <laughs> All right, guys. Be Woo. well out there. And, uh, Love y'all. Go see some live music. Go see some live music. <laughs> Virtually. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> I haven't played keyboards in hella long. Um, yeah. That was one of the most fun ones I think we've done yet. It was so cool having all the sick analog vintage keyboards in the building and uh, just such a cool studio to do it in. It was super hot out. Definitely had to be shirtless. Definitely lots of lots of sweat going into it. Um, but I love this guy. It's so much fun to hang and uh, chill with someone who's so damn creative. And, uh, yeah, guys, uh, let's see. I got, uh, I'm going to be going away for a couple weeks doing a little road trip out to Southern Colorado and Utah. So I will, uh, try to, I, I've, I've got another episode recorded that, uh, I'm going to put out next week, um, so that. You know, I'm not going too long in between episodes, but there might be a week off in there. I might actually try to record one on the road. We'll see if I can uh, finagle an interview while I'm out on in the world. But uh just need to get out of the bay for a little while, get some uh, different air in my lungs, non-fire style. And um, yeah, 15 episodes, baby. We did it. We here. We going strong. Um, my next guest I can tell you uh, will be one for all those uh, interested in natural botanicals and skin care. My good friend Mara Conazaro comes on and we talk about her new company. Um, so uh, just to end things, I'm going to play you guys out with a little funky jam that me and Jesse did afterwards. Apologies for the at times uh, offbeat bass line of your boy. Uh, I've, I've not been playing enough at all during this pandemic and, uh, the mistakes for me at least were pretty evident, but maybe you guys all enjoy the jam. Jesse's certainly helped me get through it. And, uh, while actually, while I was in the studio, it's funny, he got this delivery of a vintage drum machine that was the drum machine that, um, Sly and the Family Stone used on, a on a lot of their albums and uh so you might recognize that that drum machine in the background super old school vibes and then we just kind of did a little you know kind of freestyle funky jam breakdown and uh so hope you guys all uh enjoy it i'm going to put that in lieu of the normal fade out music um and just let it ride uh, be all, be well, my friends, uh, much love to you all. And I hope you all are hanging in there during these 
really unprecedented and intense times. Much love. Talk soon.